Wallace is the founder and director of Dance to Be Free, a nonprofit that brings trauma-informed dance and dance instructor training into women's prisons. This episode explores questions about how all of our fates are connected with those who are incarcerated, how trauma can be transformed through movement, music, and community, and how systems of oppression can be addressed through empowerment. This is the Super Givers Podcast. Yeah, so back up to that point. So Jared Polis called in. Basically, um, in June, CNN wrote me. So I actually got in my email inbox, CNN inquiry. And I was just, I, I can't even tell you that moment where I got that email. And I always joke that I deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, too busy. <laughs> um, they wrote me and said, can we do a piece on your work? My God, please. And yeah. um, they came. It's a whole story. I tried to bring them to Florida. I've been working in Florida's women's prison. It's the biggest in the country. It's notorious. It has some skeletons in the closet. And so I, I thought of them first. And um, Florida, for whatever they say, they ran. They didn't have enough time to approve us, so they denied them access. And then Mississippi denied them access. And I actually got to the point of thinking, I may not be able to bring CNN in. I, it was the the stakes are so high with this project, and I um, didn't even think of Colorado because Colorado's been super strict and very rigid about media. And um, media is huge for us. If we get any visibility, any exposure, it lets people see what we're doing versus hearing me um, talk about it. So I, I, was, I thought, I'll try Colorado. We'll see. In the past, they wouldn't let me bring a photographer. They wouldn't huh. let me bring a voice recorder. They wouldn't let me bring, I couldn't call in and talk to a prisoner on the phone. So I called the media director for Colorado and she said yes right away. And she said, we are all about normalizing the prison population. We have a new director, his name is Dean Williams. And um, yes. And so CNN came to Pueblo's prison on August 9th. They did a seven minute piece and then they um, put it on their Facebook, uh, go there. It's called Facebook, go there with CNN. And um, it was so well done and it was uh, just well edited, well, They showed the women in a really good light. It wasn't salacious. It wasn't scandalous. You know, what did this woman do? Why is she in prison? They didn't go there at all. And they uh, interviewed the director, the Dean Williams character, and he kind of stole the show. (laughs) He was so good. He was so authentic and passionate and vulnerable and progressive. So the culture is changing in Colorado because of this guy. And so Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, got wind of what we're doing. And he saw the the video, shared it on Facebook, and gave us an endorsement. And I thought, oh my God, this is huge. And then we had a party on September 18th, just a few weeks ago, to celebrate the CNN video. And we invited Dean Williams, and we invited the governor. And the governor ended up uh, just calling in on a speakerphone, and we put a microphone to the cell phone, and everyone gathered around the cell phone, and it was on a whole sound system. And he called in and said, Lucy, the state is so proud of you. And I, I mean, just hearing that I was too amped on adrenaline to hear him <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> went in after the next day or so, I watched that, that video. And I just thought the acknowledgement of, I mean, I have been working so hard on this for four years where I, I mean, it is such a shoestring. I am you know, dragging my luggage to these hotels and these super poor cities all over the country, going into these prisons that are so depressing. I'm barely paying myself. It's um, obviously a labor of passion and love. I, I did not go in this to, to make money, but just to have his acknowledgement was, it was just so validating. And it just, it made me, and I said to Jared Paulus on the phone, I said, listen, Jared, <laughs> You got, you, your, you got your Long Island accent out for him. He said, <laughs> called him by his first name. And I told him that you've already changed the culture in Colorado to let CNN come in. And um, I gave Dean Williams a big shout out. But, but honestly, it's weird, right? We have this um, insane administration in power right now. But the prison 
industrial complex. It's a bipartisan issue. It's not really, um, which I'm so grateful for. Um, it's not really a Republican or Democratic issue. It's, um, it's affecting all of us. So if, if you want to look at it from a heart-centered place of what we're doing is just so backwards and wrong, or you could say we're wasting money. I mean, it doesn't matter what angle you take, it's not working. And even the Koch brothers, <laughs> well, one died, um, who are known for some evil things are interested in prison reform. So again, that could be the financial angle of it's just 80 billion a year is insane. It's 47,000 a year in California to keep a prisoner in prison, 47,000. So whatever angle you look at it, it's, um, it's a backlash of the war on drugs. It's um, the three strikes and you're out. I mean, there's so many things that are so archaic at this point, and, but it's a backlog from, I wanna say the 80s um, until now. And so now we have this huge amount of people in prison more than anyone else in the world per capita. And um, so what I'm seeing is um, not only overcrowding, and um, but Colorado or states like Seattle or cities like Seattle, Denver, we've been to these prisons that are near a city and they have so much programming because people can drive there in 20 minutes. But when I go to the South, when I go to the rural, rural South with our teacher training, three-day workshop it's another country mm. and so when i go to mississippi arkansas central florida it's another world mm. and even still down there the staff will line up and watch us I'll, I'll have chaplains and wardens and um people just acknowledging that what we're doing is powerful i have never had a staff person say we don't like what you're doing um they know they need help they know, and now there's all sorts of buzzwords like trauma-informed care and inmate, uh, they, they say offenders, offender-led programming is a big um, buzz. And I, I'm just so lucky that, do you want me to back up and explain how this all started? <laughs> you want to interview yourself? <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ask if you could pause and yeah. back to what you said with Jared Polis, um, there's something really important about changing the culture that seems like you're tied into that in, in part. And I wonder if you could inform people about how that inspired you to start this. Like, why is this so important? And how does that, like, why is it so important to both affect cultural change in prison reform and then also where you're coming from with Dance to be Free? So um, you and I met in grad school and what we learned was that trauma and pain and um, abuse lives in the body. And so I am so grateful for that education that when we're going to approach healing, we're not going to come at it from a cognitive behavioral approach necessarily. Not to say that's a bad approach, but especially with trauma it's so physical because the violation or whatever happened was so physical. And so I just, when the idea came to me uh, as a dancer, since I was a little girl, I have had that history. And then with the blending of somatic psychology, I just, a friend of mine said, what if you brought your dance class to women in prison? I just had the immediate light bulb of this is a severely traumatized population that is probably sedentary. Most likely they're not moving around a lot. And so I just knew instinctively this would work. Um, so the idea came to just teach dance, uh, a one hour class at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Um, I had no idea, I had no idea the ripple effects. I would never know it would be where we are. So I didn't even, think about culture change. I didn't, um, I didn't even anticipate that we would teach the women themselves how to teach. So that, that came six months later. And so it's, it's actually followed sort of a really organic process. And so when I started, I didn't think, I'm going to teach the women how to teach. I'm going to be in all over the country and I'm going to change the culture. I just thought I'm going to bring dance to women in prison. It was that simple. And then in a way it 
this whole program has a life of its own and I feel like I'm just following it. And so once we taught them to teach, that structure was a three-day workshop for 12 hours. So that looked a lot different where we'd sit in circles, we would have check-ins, we would do writing exercises, poetry, sharing, and then go back to movement then back to the writing, back to movement. And so um, the blending of those two has been so much deeper than just the dancing. So I see the dance as just the simplest, cleanest vehicle to help deal with trauma because they're not talking about what happened to them. And they don't even really talk about their crime. And they're doing it in community. So they're doing it in a circle. They're actually hearing each other share um, powerful stories and wisdom. And so then before I knew it, I was hearing from the women that the culture of the prisons were starting to shift. And that's just major. And um, the biggest thing that almost makes me cry every time is that the staff at Nebraska's Women um, Correctional Center have asked to dance. So the staff have asked the women to teach them. Oh, yeah. Just like the, the symbolism yes. of, of dissolving that power hierarchy and, and coming together in, in community. Wow. Yeah, it's so symbolic. And I, I really want to go back to film it or photograph it because I, I, that is so big. It's almost like my brain can't quite comprehend <laughs> the imagery of we are bigger than our identity, we are bigger than the worst thing we've ever done. And then the, the coming together, it's, it's, it's oh, right. Right. So timely. It's so touching to hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, at the risk of, of, I, I want to come back to all that. I'm wondering if in what else you've learned, or if this has been entirely intuitive about the brain science of dance and, and, how your intuition is totally valid um, for other people who may not know and may not have the background. Mm-hmm. Why, why is dance so powerful and why is this happening? Is it just that they're, they're moving their bodies? Obviously, no, there's deeper stuff happening, right? Can you explain a little bit more about why this is so impactful? Mm-hmm. I, I would say a fair amount was intuitive, which um, I don't say lightly because sometimes I'm amazed at some of my, um, instincts around it because I'm trying to teach other people how to do it now and um, especially the circle time when we talk to the women after we've danced and we come back to connecting I just knew not to get into it with them if that makes sense I just knew to listen and just say thank you basically I'm not here to say what happened with your father like that's not the place we, we do not want to re-traumatize anyone. So the people I'm starting to train how to replicate me, I'm, I'm really coming from the place of we are just here to listen and support and validate without digging up and getting into the story. And then we're also there to not have the answers. That's a huge one. Yeah. Um, humility feels like a big, big, big core value. Um, but as far as the dance piece, it's so profound, right? So Bessel van der Kolk or Dr. Bruce Perry or Gabor Mate, they all are talking about um, that the, the primitive brain came online way before the frontal lobe, just even in the embryo. We're not even just evolutionary, this is kind of new. It's just right. so, it's so interesting to think that we really were this kind of emotional um, reptilian brain for the first few years before you're even speaking. And so if you're being traumatized and you're constantly looking for danger and you're hypervigilant or your um, cortisol is just going through your nervous system at, and you know, an alarming rate, your brain is impaired. And so, so many people say, well, these women made bad decisions and they don't rewind back to why do you think they made bad decisions? Do you think maybe their decision-making process has been impaired by those first few years or, um, 
just repeated abuse, if you have uninterrupted abuse, I mean, that just does so much. So in a way, I can't even believe how, how high functioning these women are actually. They don't seem like victims. They're articulate. They don't play the victim role. Um, they are almost like vets. I, I see them as survivors of war. And I look at my life and how easy, and I don't say that to say I've, whatever, I, I dodged a lot of bullets. <laughs> I did not, I wasn't abused. I didn't have eating disorders. I have no sexual abuse in my family history. I, and I struggle with life. I, I have a hard time with whatever, making decisions, focus, self-esteem. And I, how, how do these <laughs> women who were repeatedly beaten or raped, I mean, it goes on and on. One of my students the other day said I was raped at three years old. I mean, my mm -hmm. brain can't even, again, wrap. It's so confounding what they've gone through. And so when the body piece comes in without digging up the story, about what happened to three years old. We're not even right. going to go there. We're right. going to just go move to Eminem. So music is essential too. Music's a whole part of it. And so um, in Tennessee's prison, we were dancing to Beyonce. And she said, when I lose myself, I lose it all. And so then the women connect with those words. And then they do kind of a convulsing movement because mm. they come up with the movement. They choreograph. Um, oh. Yeah. That's a whole part of it. They choreograph a song and that's their prison song. And then I take that prison song and bring it to another prison. And I'll Whoa, yeah. So, so there's I'll, like some real empowerment and ownership there. Yes, totally. And then they have control, um, which is what I really emphasized in the CNN piece was that when you're traumatized, you're out of control. You don't have control of your body. You're helpless. You're violated. You couldn't run away. You couldn't fight back. And so that helplessness is then stuck in the body and it can just be frozen in time. And so when they come to dance, they're in control of their body for maybe the first time. And so it's so empowering while healing and they're doing it together with women that can relate with women that have been through hell. And so it's, it, it just, it's hitting on so many levels. It's just physical, spiritual, emotional, community it's empowerment it's and so i don't even care if they go on to teach it's called a teacher training but that's that's just because we don't want to say come to a three-day workshop we want to be a little more concise but their teaching is a bonus and um it's just the experience of learning how to step up in front and lead your peers in movement use your voice. That's a big other part. We have them use their voice. And so they just, after a few hours on day one, they start to look like little girls. Um, they literally, they were mostly robbed of a childhood. And then they're in this gym laughing and crying. And, and then I become more and more playful as the day one goes on. And I start to be really silly and I'll crack jokes and whip out the Long Islander and then, <laughs> and then they just start to see I'm not some white suburban chick. Right. Well, I, I can imagine in what you're saying earlier, just by even trusting your sense of their bubble and their boundary and that you really want to be sensitive to not being another, another source of bait and switch, right? Mm. Here's where connection has been unsafe, especially if you're talking a lot about relational trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure I'm sure there are many of your students who have learned that connection is really untrustworthy because mm -hmm. it results in this kind of suffering, right? So you're coming in saying connection is safe, and that's going to take a little bit of trust. So if you take any step into a sense of, oh, Lucy's actually here for her agenda. Here we go. Mm. Imagine that's what your intuition's saying, but that's a good point. Yeah. So that you're yeah. not the wolf in sheep's clothing to them, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever however it comes to be, your intuition is really serving you. It sounds like it's it's having a profound impact. And I wonder now that you're at this point with it, has the vision expanded for you? And what what do you see as the real sort of dream? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because they're now holding 
the program themselves. And now that's the buzzword, offender-led programming. And I didn't, you know, I was right, right on the peak. I think prison reform has become just so huge in the past few years. My timing was probably super lucky. Um, you know, it's weird that it was during the Obama administration that we started this, but um, it feels that the, the fact that they can hold the program. So I go in three days, I leave, then they teach each other. And I also leave DVDs of my class filmed here in Boulder. So I'll leave them a box set of 150 songs and 150 dance routines. And then they dance when I'm gone. And then they learn those routines themselves. And then they teach them without me. And so I'll get reports from Mississippi, you know, 50 to 80 women are coming into the gym twice a week and they're dancing when I'm not there. And so then I'll try to go back at least um, as many times as I can. And that's, you know, doing, depends on the budget, but um, I've been to Nebraska seven, eight times maybe. And so they're really, they're just doing it. I don't know if I need to go back that many more times. They're so um, self-sustaining. And so um, that, made the vision get huge because then that means we could go all over the country. And now I have women who were in prison who are now out, who I'm going to start to train to replicate me. And so um, Demetrius Gatson is someone we met in Nebraska in 2016. She was in and out of prison six times over 25 years. She's kind of an ideal person to replicate. She's, um, she's got charisma She's no nonsense and she's, um, she's just kind of cool and she, <laughs> she's just got this way. And um, I brought her into prison with me into Nebraska. So she served, you know, six, she had six numbers, six ID numbers. It's so wild, right? Cause mm. they referred to by a number. And then she went back in as a dance teacher. And she led the group in August with me and, um, and she's just really badass. And so I'm going to train her and pay her to go <laughs> around the country. So that makes it a whole nother vision. Right. Uh, so I have maybe three women right now that I think could do that. And so then that means I could triple my footprint. And so um, we're going to fundraise to pay um, Demetrius's. And, um, and so then that's even more empowerment and more teaching women how to fish and then expanding the vision even more. I've had, um, a psychic say, this is going to be international, which is, which is interesting because a lot of people do reach out from Egypt and Australia and England. And so that's a whole nother vision, but, um, yeah, it's exploding. It's Maybe a, not another vision, just, you know, a passport and a, and a layover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've been to 14 prisons at this point and the teacher trainings started in January, 2016. Wow. So that happened very quickly. And, um, I also want to go back to those 14. Um, they, they require repeat visits. Um, so yeah. So, Okay. I, I want to root this a little more in where you're coming from. Why, why you, and we know a little bit about why dance. Mm -hmm. What's your, you know, what's your connection to serving women in this way? And why, why now? Why is this so critical now? Um, I feel like why me for so many reasons, it feels like everything in my life led up to this. and. Um, it's everything from being from New York to taking care of elderly women, um, getting my degree in psychology, um, and also just having parents who instilled to a pathological point, don't ever be proud. Don't ever be proud. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, oh God. So there's a toxic level of that, but there's also, they really kind of instilled in me um, humility around and it's intense as think as this does explode and 
some of these women will say very intense things to me, you know, like you saved my life or God brought you to me or, um, I just have this sense of, it's not about me. It's about this bigger entity. Dance to be free has a life of its own and it's very stressful. It's very, very, um, it's very hard to run a nonprofit, to have a board of directors, having to approve everything and then having um, fundraising as a constant and um, the stakes just get higher and it's, it's very volatile. It's as high, it, as high as it is, it gets low. And, and there are times where I feel a little beat up. It's the easiest part is being in prison. The easiest part is being in maximum security, rural, prisons that are very depressing. That part's a breeze. Mm. <laughs> Running a nonprofit is not. Mm. And um, I've had a lot of conflict and um, my conflict avoidance comes up and people pleasing and it's really, it's hard. Why do you stick with it then? I, there's nothing else I would rather do. Absolutely not. So clear. I should do this for the rest of my life. Um, it's every. It bring like I said. Everything about me has come together into this creation, and I I feel there's not necessarily a lot of nervous systems that could handle this. Um, I might be prone to intensity and I thrive in crisis, but um, I would never let it go. I I feel like I'll do it as long as my body allows me to do it. And, um, it, it just brings together, I think all of my gifts and, but I also think other people can do it. So that's why I'm starting to train others, but it's, it's the most, um, like I said earlier, the cleanest, simplest way I see of working with trauma in prison. You can have talk therapy, you can have medication, but if you're not moving, it's just, there's a big missing piece there. And so, um, and they're just such old souls. I feel like they're such old souls who share the most profound wisdom after they start moving. As soon as they start moving, they'll just spout out poetic wisdom. And I, I feel like I'm in a room with women who have lost it all, basically. It's a severe rock bottom. And then they are so grateful and vibrant and happy <laughs> and they feel actually more liberated than we are I I, mm. I really and I like know that can sound trite but they they seem more free and I feel like maybe I'm learning from them about how to dance to be free I um always think of the the saying those who can't do teach and I I have a, a certain freedom in my movement and my sense of letting go, but these women kind of show me, uh, they're, they're just so much more um, interesting and real than some of us on the outside. Sometimes I come back out into society and I, I see more pretense and I see more image management and I see more egos and folder is filled with new age know-it-alls. And, and I say to myself, I would rather be talking to a murderer <laughs> than a bolder new age know-it-all. And so I, they give me so much and are, are so completely, um, they're magical. It's a magical experience. It's really, it's a bucket list item. <laughs> so I think many people listening who have either are working on projects that are really hard or maybe even have, have their own MPO or have worked for one, can probably relate to the lowness. So I'm curious to know if you were to let go and give it up in one of these low points, what would be the biggest loss if you did that? Mm. Um, just what they give me when I'm in there, when I'm dancing with them and we have this kind of volley going back bef between us. Um, it just, it's so meaningful for my life. I mean, I've never, I, I, I say this kind of lightly, but I was in Hawaii at the women's prison on Oahu when the missile crisis happened, when we thought there was a missile coming for Hawaii. Mm. And I had a moment, I'm like, mm. I might die 
I mean, it was, there was 38 minutes. We had no idea what was happening. And I thought I've lived my purpose. Wow. I have totally lived. I mean, I can't even believe the amount of women I've been able to be with. Mm. And, um, it's a, it's profound medicine. It's profound what's happening. And there's some women I've never even met who will write me on Facebook when they get out and they'll say, you help me more than you will ever know. And I never met them because wow. they just danced to my DVD. It sound, I mean, it sounds to me like a beautiful example of what's possible when somebody lives boldly in service of their full expression. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really the... Uh, the bumper sticker of follow your bliss. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Joseph Campbell was really onto something. I had no idea what would happen by following dance. Right. I didn't I didn't want to do one-on-one therapy after grad school. It just was not my fire to work with one-on-one people in Boulder. I just um couldn't do working with privileged people is not my thing. And mm-hmm. so um even as a dance teacher, um my teacher my mentor said, I want you to teach other people. What if you went to LA and did this dance teacher training with, I don't know. I just picture a bunch of <laughs> whatever. I say <laughs> Privileged yoga moms. Yeah. And I, I, can't, I can't. So I, I thought I want to go to the source. I want to go to the deepest place where it's needed. The deepest, most forgotten. Um, and even going beyond Denver, even just to go into the South, that is where no one is going. There is no programming. We literally are the only program in some of these Southern prisons. Wow. So I, I don't, I don't know if it's the fixation. I, I, I thought about being counterphobic six on the Enneagram that I am, I'm counterphobic in terms of going towards the, the scariest thing. Um, but I actually get more stressed out about parallel parking or what are my <laughs> <laughs> or watch out for that boulder new age neighbor <laughs> rope you into a conversation on your way to the car you know i i mean when i talk to a woman who's maybe um done something horrible that's actually not scary intimidating or hard and uh that might be what my background and nervous system was built for and so um i would say when I when I get to the low points with the nonprofit aspect of it, it's never about the part that I love. It's never about coming out of prison stressed and drained and the women are super difficult. Um, it is sometimes, but it's more about um, what's out here. I don't know. It's the prison of my own mind. It's... Uh, the prison of privilege and and how am I going to constantly be fundraising? That's never ending. And having so much feedback, that's a brutal one is constant feedback, constant um, unsolicited advice or projections. I just, the bigger this gets, I have, I'm more in the spotlight. I'm more exposed and in the front line of everyone's opinion. And that gets exhausting and um, just, you know, just relational issues of how to run this with people that all mean well. And uh, I have some amazing supporters. Boulder has actually completely held this program up. We've got some incredible donors. And so it's just, a, it's a very extreme ride. There's nothing subtle, there's nothing soft. It's just like, um, and that's maybe part of my path too. I, I, you know, there's some bipolar energy on both sides of my family. And sometimes I think this is just some bipolar ride. On. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, it sounds like your soul has come into its, its learning place in this realm in a way. It's not only the here and now body, but it's like something really deep within you. And, you know, for everyone listening, I hope you can, you can take in that, Lucy is um, a model here for what it's like when you engage with that part of yourself. Not that it has to look the same. There's no sort of right or wrong there, right? But you're, this is your version, maybe. This is what you incarnated um, to experience in yourself. And the time and place and details are, 
are sort of just circumstantial, right? Yeah, and I, like I would, three three hundred years ago, if you incarnated, it might not have been prisons, but it would have expressed <laughs> itself in a different way. Who knows, right? Like slavery, slave camps. I mean, who knows, right? So I just want people listening to connect with that part of themselves. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. That's yeah. a great point. It's a uh, yeah. It's just so. It's such a profound experience because it's existential. To, to meet someone who's been inside for 20 years, there's this woman named Renita Bell who was in um, Arkansas's maximum prison for 20 years already. But that, wow. that's, it's, that's a, it's hard to even fathom, right? I, I can't fathom it at all. Most it, people get most people feel a little cabin fever in their own apartment or their own house for three hours. <laughs> right. And this place and is gray. It's mm-hmm. such it's a gray, dim box the and that you walk down the halls and they have yellow lines in the halls where you walk on one side of the yellow line they all wear white there's just no color yeah. and they're in barracks so they have cots just a whole room of cots wow and i if i'm right the lights are on all night oh oh I, not 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 a not a day spa. <laughs> not a day spa. And she is the most beautiful spirit. I and I can't even express, you know, again, it's so hard through me talking. And that's why we try to film as much, because once you see and hear from them, it's just so palpable and they're so relatable. And um, she was an accomplice in some murder 20 years ago where mm. she didn't murder anyone, but she, she needs to be out. She's done her time. It's just, it's at this point, and Arkansas is becoming a focal point, and I'm just going to name drop Van Jones because I really want to connect with him. And he is wanting to focus on Arkansas because the South is literally another country. Like, I, I'm not just saturating i'm have you heard of the book just mercy by um, brian stevenson i think it's a book about being a lawyer in the south trying to get people wrongfully convicted off of death row mainly in alabama it's i mean there were lynchings until 1980 i mean we're dealing with another level of um ignorance and insanity. And so I can just see the women I'm meeting are just throwaways. It's just, you're a black woman, you're disposable. You don't matter. And so that they can still have a sparkle in their eye when I meet them after being in a gray box for 20 years. And and then the gratitude and the, the way they move, I'm just. Wow just inspiring for the resilience of the human spirit, huh? Yes. It's a great word. Yeah. Well, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the big picture here. Cause it sounds like you, before we started recording, you started spitting out some numbers about prison reform and, and how systemically, um, how problematic this is. And I interviewed another person on my podcast who works with, prison inmates in, in different capacity um, a couple of years ago. It was really eye-opening. And I asked her something similar that I'll ask you. Why should people who have no connection to the prison system, why should they care about prison reform? I mean, the biggest, fastest, most um, immediate, tangible answer that everyone can relate to is that 95% of, 95% of prisoners will get out and they'll be your neighbor. So do you want someone who's more traumatized coming out or do you want someone who's rehabilitated? And so that's as basic as it gets. I mean, that's, that's like, yeah, that's reference to ourselves and what we care about. Right. Yeah. If you want your own well-being, then it matters that you care about others. Yeah. And then the, the, uh, if compassion is a stretch for people, (laughs) which I imagine your audience is a compassionate audience, but, Uh, How I always see it is if you live their lives, you would probably be in prison too. And and like I said, my life has been a dream and it's still hard. And I still experience, I've experienced jealous rage. I've experienced um, 
you know, like I said, I don't think I should have had kids because I might have done something. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so. You, you have a, a reverence for the impact of environmental circumstance on somebody's life. Yeah. I, I mean, really, if, if you were abused or neglected, ne- neglect is just as powerful as abuse, uh, your brain would be impaired you would be having addiction issues and uh, decision-making issues. How, how would you keep a job if you had grown up in foster care and had no one literally caring for your life? And you were, um, one woman, Roxy, her mother died at 14. She had to raise her little sister. She was hungry. And at 20 years old, after six years of being alone, um, robbed a store and got 20 years. And so it's like, if I was Roxy and I had been abandoned and I was in rural Mississippi, what would I do? I would probably rob a store. And so it's hunger. It's not deviance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most people might, if compassion's hard, um, when CNN came out with the video, there were some haters right away on on the comment feed saying this prison should not be a retreat. These people deserve to be punished. And there's obvious ignorance in those comments because people are uneducated about trauma. So I understand. And, that the- and even if you, sorry to interrupt, but even if you want to go the cognitive behavioral route, we have eons of evidence about how ineffective punishment is. So even if you wanted to go down the punishment hole, it does not work for character development, long-term behavior change. It doesn't work. We already know that. Right. So even not even going into trauma, uh, there's ignorance there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our, our population, our prison population is struggling way worse than other countries because like Europe or the Scandinavian countries are doing it so differently and having such better results and they call them by their first name. And I think the staff might wear street clothes and there's just not this level of um, you're an animal and you deserve to be punished. I mean, there are some people that should not be free. I definitely can see some people are truly struggling with mental illness and maybe even should be in confinement at times. I mean, there's some people that are truly dangerous, but that's 3% maybe. Right. Um, the majority are the women I'm meeting, you know, and I have trained maybe 400 women. And I have never had a woman be inappropriate or lash out or walk out of the room screaming. They're, I mean, they're you and me. And yeah. so, and I, I, I know people who say things like punishment or this isn't a retreat. It's almost as if hate is addictive and vindication is kind of addictive. I can, I can feel it in myself of just like, yeah, get them back. And you can just feel that um, whatever's released in the brain with hate is uh, so seductive. And so I know that this administration is pumping that out into the psyche and hate can be just so um, self-perpetuating. And that's a scary part. It's, it's harder to be curious. It's harder to be open and um, to ask what happened versus why. Like, why did that person do that? Versus what happened to that person that led them to do that? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Um, I wonder if you're willing to talk about what you've learned about yourself as a leader. Mm-hmm going through this? Yeah. And how, how you, how you frame leadership for yourself in this role? Well, I liked what you said earlier about power versus through connection versus power through control. And I feel like I'm doing that. So I come in with a pretty gentle structure, but it's, it's really about me being with them. I'm not on a pedestal or a soapbox preaching or convincing or lecturing. I am in it with them on the ground floor. I am making sounds with them. I'm doing breathing exercises with them. I'm doing choreography with, with amongst. And so 
that is how I lead. Um, I wouldn't be super comfortable with any other kind of leadership. I rely a lot on my humor and that is a way to just break down a feeling of separation. And um, I see a lot of things as absurd in life. (laughs) And when I am in this very surreal environment, you know, Max prison in the deep South. And here I am this long Islander. What? I just see the, I see the absurdity of it all and can kind of go to some place of not being my ego or my identity or seeing them as their ego or identity. And, and so I see it as a playfulness. I see play is essential And, and it's not in any formal play therapy role. It's just, I, I'm trying to support our women to get out of um, trying to be cool and look good. And so by, there's just so much silliness and um, voices and crazy behavior that once you let it out and let it be free and it's not repressed, then there's maybe not going to be that lashing out. So there's, I just see um, it's not about me, it's about them, and it's about them leading. And so uh, I see leadership really about how to teach my students how to fish. And so um, that's not, I, I can't imagine another way. And I think so many leaders get into trouble with being that kind of, um, the one who has the answers or the one who has to hold up a certain posture. Um, and that's maybe where the ego can become a little toxic. And, and as you knew me in my past life, I had some spiritual teachers that became really egomaniacs. And I, I see that with so many leaders and groups and groups honestly kind of scare me. Group think scares me. And um, this formula that, I've created, I feel is protective of that pollution, if that makes sense. If um, just the worshiping of a leader or the um, thinking that the leader's flawless or so I try to just always be honest and real about my own struggles with the women and not share too much because there has to be boundaries. But, you know, I'll say, you know, I've dealt with deep pain from heartbreak or, and tried to get just down on, so it's all equal. And so there's a equal playing field. And I don't want to abuse my position of power because I am in a position of power coming into a prison as the authority figure, as the white woman, uh, white savior, um, that could that could be super tricky, but somehow I'll go into prison in Mississippi or Hawaii and just play with a little bit of crazy energy so I can kind of out crazy them. <laughs> or give permission. <laughs> yes, to be a little weird and a little wild. And they'll kind of look at me like, whoa, homegirl's a little nuts. But that <laughs> is uh, a, a there's a freedom in that too, to not take myself so seriously. And um, by the end, I feel there's just been such healing playfulness that we, we are all on the same level. And I'm not, I'm not coming from a higher, uh, holier than now place. It sounds like as, as you, engage with your path to freedom in all of its forms that it really serves other people's quest for freedom. Mm-hmm. That's thus the name, right? When you said dance to be free and you talked about the prison of your own mind and all the struggles with the admin side of being in the MPO, sort of like you can really immerse yourself in the humility of your own struggle. And mm-hmm. perhaps that's, that's part of your power as a leader. Have you run into any, challenges in leading this way? Not while I'm inside doing the work. 
I, I'm pretty supported um, by my people, my staff or my board or my biggest donor, Tom. He's a great guy. And he, uh, he's actually from the South. He's from Mississippi and he's 75 years old and from another world, another culture, another time. And he'll just say, Lucy, you are the person meant to do this. <laughs> and to be seen and recognized by someone I, I kind of wouldn't imagine he would sense that. But uh, do you mean from the staff? Would I be questioning? No, no, just like what you've in self-reflection in terms of your stepping into this leadership role, whether you, you know, aim to call it that or not, you are in a position of guiding this program. And, and then there are moments where you're in front of people really guiding a process, right? So you, I would say you're a leader in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, right. you know, this, this theme of this show is, is largely about exploring how humans can evolve um, leadership into a more life-serving form. So what I hear from you is, is something similar to me that you're very much a nurturer leader, which is somebody who can join in with the herd and kind of like be of the people in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I think there, there are many different forms of leadership that can be really powerful in different instances. And yours might just be perfect fit for who you are and for this work. And I'm just curious so other people can learn have you run into challenges doing it this way? Because there certainly are advantages to staying, to staying separate, to staying a little bit more at arm's length, right? Like there can be ease in that as much as there can be challenge in that too, right? Yeah, there, there are times where uh, we go to choreograph and some of the women will push back on my feedback where I'll say that that particular move is going to be hard, ladies. I really recommend making that simpler or easier. And this doesn't happen a lot, but it's happened a handful of times where they don't respect my feedback or listen. And that particular group got, I was exhausted by the end. And uh, that was hard for me to just take the mic and say, ladies. And so I have my own, I think, reluctance to step into the full leadership moment at times. And that's probably my growth edge is mm. to say, because oh, that's a fine line, right? Where I want them to hold the power too. And I want them to feel empowered. But um, with that particular group in Florida, my colleague, my board member said the next day to the women, I hear, I saw you not listening to Lucy. And that's why that, song didn't get completed. We didn't finish the choreography and it was, it was just not fun. It was not a fun experience. And then they, they went into full blown apologizing and they said, we're so sorry. And and I kind of, I just walked away feeling a little bad that I didn't want them to feel apologetic. Like they owed you something. Yeah. And I could feel that again, that power differential of Mm. we're so sorry, Lucy, but it really, it was only about two two sour apples in the group that were just difficult and that affected the entire group dynamic. Mm. And so um, that's, that's just something I need to play with when there's a couple difficult people, cause there always are and how to handle it. it it's again, high intensity and there's sometimes 30 women in a room. And that's a right. lot of men, a lot of personalities, a lot of trauma. That's right. Yeah. So it, yeah, it can get hard for me to really step up. In those moments. Who inspires you in, in the world today as a leader? Mm. Dead yeah. or alive? Beyonce? <laughs> You're the second person to say that. Yeah. Oh, God, I admire her so much. But um, Oprah Wait, is a big do you, one. What do you like about Beyonce's leadership? Well, what she did with Coachella uh, two years ago, maybe, she took her platform, her power, her, she risked losing her audience by doing a show that was actually really a little bit out there for a white audience. And Coachella is a very white audience. And she made an entire show celebrating Southern black culture, historical black colleges. So it had this marching band theme, this sort of uh, cheerleader marching band choreography and music. It was so phenomenal, but she did some things. She read, uh, sang the black national anthem, lift every voice. She had uh, these extreme 
these men dancing with the double jointed um, crumping and crimping. And it was just, the audience could have maybe just been, whoa, what is this? And even her mother said, I wouldn't do it. You're going to lose your audience. And she said, I'm going to use my power. I'm going to use my voice to celebrate Black culture so much that she risked losing her people because she has mainly a white audience. And then, and then she went on to do The Lion King and she celebrates Africa, but she's just, she's such a beautiful performer, choreography, choreographer. And then, you know, there's mixed opinions about her staying with Jay-Z, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but I just, ah, she's just using her, her platform, I think, in one of the wisest ways. And I just love her music. I love her. I love her voice. Well, just, yeah, that sounds like an amazing example of recentering the experience to this is the center of my reality rather than let me reference my performance to the um, supremacist reality, you yeah. know, which, which would be pandering to the crowd if it's, and I say pandering if it's not authentic to her, right? So if she's stuck to herself as saying, this is my center, this is who I am. And if you want to come celebrate that, you, you can choose to, but I'm not going to move off my center. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And then Oprah. Oprah is, what I just love what she's doing now with Super Soul Sundays Yeah, is kind of her whole career seems like it led up to this where she, I think, had to pander to the networks to do shows on decorating and cooking and they probably weren't her passion and what she wanted to do. But now she has such an immense platform that she's having these deep conversations with some of the coolest speakers and authors that I have ever heard. I listen to her almost every night where she goes into these deep, soulful conversations with people about everything from racism to sexual abuse. I mean, and she seems like she's deepened and she can, it's, it's quieter and deeper and, her questions are so poignant and oh highly yeah. recommend it's a great podcast series where i think her her career led to this so she can mm. go to places with maybe authors people have never heard of uh she'll talk to people um who've been in prison she'll talk to people like um, malcolm gladwell about his recent book or she talks about redemption and forgive us oh, she is on it mm. <laughs> Yep, she's a real up and comer. I think she's going to get somewhere someday. <laughs> That's sarcasm, folks. <laughs> right, but she seems to have maintained her integrity yes. and spirituality with being this huge and this, I mean, to the point where she's such a mega star, but she somehow hasn't lost her mind with mm-hmm. being so huge and she doesn't seem um egotistical about it and she grew up in a rough area of mississippi she was raped and molested and, i mean just she's a true story of resilience mm. true victor yeah. yeah 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 um okay what's your you know for people listening who are struggling in any of the ways that you can relate to in this story? Um, what would be your message of encouragement? For people who maybe want to start their own or are starting or how to deal with leadership and vision. Any, and- any of it or, or, or struggling with trauma or trying to believe in themselves, you know, on any level, what, what does Lucy have to offer? And in, in my experience with this particular project, uh, giving up doesn't come into my experience. So I don't really struggle with, uh, I always joke that my ex-husband called me a pit bull and (laughs) thank God I'm a pit Mm. bull because I don't know if I could do this work. And so uh, that that tenacity feels like perhaps that's just me. So I don't know how to support that in someone, but I actually, 
I'm an obsessive person. And sometimes there's a real downside to that because I can obsess about negativity. But that obsessive energy has served because I just will, will keep going and won't give up. And if there's a sense of I, I just think it's going to always be like this. I, I'm going to have amazing, beautiful experiences like the governor acknowledging me. And then also really hard. I, I just don't think it's going to all be one note. I, I think the highs and lows are part of it. And I just have to uh, get maybe stronger in riding the waves because the, the waves can be so um, brutal sometimes. And that's, mm. that's maybe where people could relate to, I can't do this. I'm not. So if, yeah. If you had a bumper sticker, it would say something like learn to surf. <laughs> Yeah. And, and just, (laughs) I feel like everything's just beautiful and hard. I mean, what isn't? Yeah. Right. So I hear you really embracing all of it, that it's an integrated experience for you, at least that the, the downs are just as much a part of the path as the ups are. And that seems like a real critical takeaway for your success so far is that you really hung in there and you really embraced that part of it. Whereas, and I know I can relate to some of the the downs feeling like this is not the path. This is off the path and I need to let go of this or make another decision to get back on the path. So it's a nice reframe. That's all part of the path and learn to surf because the waves are worth it. And Uh, if in my dream, I could just get support on the things I'm not good at. mm -hmm. So I, I really should just be dancing in prison. I feel right. And I need help with marketing. I need help with event planning. I need help with fundraising. And so just, to get get people behind me so I can do what I'm good at mm-hmm. and, and not push the things I'm not good at. I'm not good at bookkeeping. I'm not good at um, event planning. And we just had this big event and it was very stressful because that's not my gig. I'm not, I'm not awesome with detail on that level. And, and so then the stress of that is, is not healthy and it's not going to, that would burn me out more than anything, doing the things I'm not good at. Well, perfect segue. So Lucy Wallace, dancetobefree.org. If somebody is out there and they're inspired and they want to support you directly in any of those roles or otherwise, how do they connect with you and what, what else, what other actions would you like them to take? So our website has uh, the contribute button front and center, and you can uh, donate $5 a month. Even we have a reoccurring monthly plan now, which is so great. That's a new feature. And then, or you can make whatever one-time donation on that contribute button. And you can also watch that CNN clip. It's on the homepage and it's so beautiful the way they presented that. So if you feel inspired, the videos give everything I just said more life. I agree. Just, I recommend people check that out. I think it's like 10 minutes segment, right? It's a yeah. seven minute segment. Seven minute segment. <clears throat> Prime time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, how else? You are you open to people offering skills, like you said, marketing, event planning, fundraising. If there are people out there that have these skills to offer, can they contact you? Yeah. Uh, let's, right let's now, let's find someone. Yeah, we're we've just grown our board. Um, we've got some. We've got some new support, but I would say. I do the marketing, like the social media, but I'm sure it could be better. And uh, that person would probably need to be local. So Boulder, Denver would be ideal. But um, yeah, the, the financial contributions are really so valuable. Okay. Let's travel. Yeah. So the money goes directly into your travel to access the different prisons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cost $400 to certify one woman as a dance teacher. And so basically that money goes into us flying to Mississippi, Florida, Virginia, Tennessee. And so we stay in those towns where the prisons are for three days and we spend 12 hours. So it's, it's just a matter of not a very expensive program. It's just money to get to the women. Right on. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you being on and I'm so Excited about the work you're doing and thanks for your contribution to the world. Thank you. And I might get to Oregon. There's a prison that's reached out to us. So I'll definitely connect with you. Please. Yeah. 
Thanks, Lucy. Okay, thanks, Jesse. Find out more about Lucy's work at dancetobefree.org. I'd love to leave you with this for today. Who are you rooting for to suffer more in this world? And if their suffering hurts all of us in the end, what can you offer instead? This has been the Supergivers Podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. You can help out the show with one of three simple actions. You can write a five-star review on iTunes, you can tell a friend about the show, or you can listen to another episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn. You can learn more about me and my equine-based leadership work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.